Warning! What follows is a story of monsters, madness, and mayhem! I am Nick. And I'm Zach. Welcome to Weird and Feared, a barely educational podcast about global folklore that aims to enlighten, entertain, and expand your world! On a warm night in 1619, while contemplating the serenity of the heavens, I saw a shining dragon of great size in front of Mount Pilatus. Okay, dragons are cool. Coming from the opposite side of the lake, a cave that is named Flu, moving rapidly in an agitated way, seen flying across. Do you want to know a little bit about this dragon? Yeah, it's flying currently, right? certainly is. It was of a large size, with a long tail, a long neck, and a reptile's head, and ferocious, gaping jaws. As it flew, it was like iron struck in a forge when pressed together that scatters sparks. At first, I thought it was a meteor from what I saw. Again. Scatters sparks. Yeah, so it's flying and like like it was flames or basically there's like fire. Or it's lighting or some kind of beacon. It's huh. it's it's lighting up the sky, so much so that he thought it was a meteor. But after I diligently observed it alone, I understood it was indeed a dragon, from the motion of the limbs of the entire body. Was it like a two-legged dragon, like a wyvern type thing, or more like a classic dragon with the four legs? I would imagine perhaps a classical dragon but the legs are not specified in this manner perhaps they were blotted out by all the flames and sparks that were flying around mm-hmm. that um you know dark it sounds like too yeah the meteor illusion um, mm-hmm. uh but enough was visible that he could clearly tell that he in fact thought this was a dragon yeah now of course that's 1619 that was a couple years ago just a few the quote is from um anthenasius Kircher, okay. a writer, writing. That's what they do. About what they saw a few decades after. That's why it got written down. It's true. Yeah, right. It made it. Yeah, after they saw it again. Yeah, that was. He wrote that down in 1664. He said, God damn it, I'm working again. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, this is interesting. I guess right. I'll continue writing about this. Yeah, that's fine. Sure. It's a dragon. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, we'll work this into something. Didn't quite find out where that, what it was plucked from. The, uh, well, that's not the important part. Uh, the important part was, well, if you... Mount Pilatus is... Uh, it overlooks Lucerne, Switzerland. So that's where that mountain is. Okay. Um, I found it coming across the things that I'm about to tell you about. But these things that I'm about to tell you about don't take place in Switzerland. They uh, they take us across the globe. Okay. Some parts... I mean, maybe spans the entire globe in a vague but precise manner. You know. Right. That's a sentence that... That makes sense. Vaguely precise. And so what we're going to do, where we're going to take our journey, where we're going to begin this trek at, this trek is going to, we're going to take us to Papua New Guinea. Okay. All right. So basically, how long ago, give or take, do you think people settled in Papua New Guinea? 
because it's an island, so people came from... Like, in general? Yeah, like, the first humans to get over there. Because we got some archaeological evidence. I got some years to throw at you. A couple thousand years ago? Time is going to be maybe important, or maybe it won't matter at all for this episode. Perfect. Also something to think about. vaguely precise. (laughs) Correct. Um, 42,000 to 45,000 years ago. Oh, that's even more thousands of years ago. I thought the planet was only 6,000 years old. Interesting you mentioned that. I will never get back to that in this episode in any way whatsoever. <laughs> okay. Right? Again, like I said, maybe time will matter. Maybe it will not. 45,000 years ago, though. That's a long seven. time, though. Can you think about it, though? That's a long time. Uh, it's a long time. Yeah, so basically, people, you know, they came over from Africa and they settled. And then um, they were there hanging out for a long time. Doing lots of developing stuff. Um, you know. Uh, agriculture, 7,000 B.C. It's a long time ago. Took them a while to figure that out. Yeah, domesticated some plants. Mm-hmm. So basically, like, you know, it's like farming and stuff, basically. Took them like 39,000 years to figure that out. That's true. <laughs> I, I always do love thinking about, like, what were early people doing? I don't know. Like, for thousands of years, doing the same thing over and over again? You know, like, right? Because at some point, things develop. We develop the plants. We settle down. We start, like, you know... But for we're just hunting and gathering. Yeah. See, from everything I've read about, people that, really didn't want to change. Maybe they were like, "No, no, no! You can't put the plants there. You got to find them." Yeah, like they like. Why would you put them here when they grow over there by themselves and you just go get them? Yeah, dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, that took a while for that that thought process to get into the gene pool, and then eventually the 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 putter theirs. That's what I'm going to call them. The putter theirs. <laughs> okay. Finally dominated the culture. Yeah, this is the way we've done it for years. I don't want to put it there. We know we're we're putting it there. No, my 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 parents before me they they went over theirs. They were over theirs. Yeah, over theirs and put it theirs. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, pre town humanity, put her theirs and over theirs. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> ah. And this is just a little. This is uh, noteworthy. Eventually, of course, you know what happens. On the Earth, dragons. Huh. <laughs> in a way, dinosaurs because they tear apart everything they come across. Westerners and colonialism. Oh, those ones. Those, that, those dragons. Yeah, okay. I mean that that eventually happens. So eventually, of course, they come. I like over. that. I thought dinosaurs were going to come after forty-five thousand. I mean, I'm glad you mentioned dinosaurs again. Things I may not even talk about in this episode. Weird, cool. crazy that these are all these things that we're talking about. Um, also, this you know this may be crass. I'm not sure what the appropriate manner to address this is, but it seems like there may have been a lot of headhunting on Papua New Guinea in certain periods of its history. There's a quote here. Like they're trying to like get people steal them from other people's jobs, that kind of thing. That kind of headhunting, right? Yeah, just like hey, they're going on you know ZipRecruiter yeah. or Indeed. It's like hey, hey, I know you're like a an an over there, but we got to put her there here. <laughs> Yeah. You want to come over and join my team? Yeah, we got put her there so over here. Yeah, so you, if you want to be over, over here, here, put her there. <laughs> uh, Mariana Tagornovic, oh, basically a missionary named Harry Donsey. Again, listing these minor facts is not intended to trivialize their culture, but he says he found 10,000 skulls in the island's longhouses. Oh, R2-D2 doesn't like that. No, I was going to say that's the skull alarm. Yeah. Too many skulls. But 10,000 skulls, that seems like a lot of skulls. That's a lot of skulls. Right. 
And again, this has nothing to do with the episode we're addressing, but, you know, the most fully documented instances of cannibalism as a social institution come from New Guinea. Uh, this was from 1991, Mariana Tkarnovic, and talks about, you know, where headhunting and ritual cannibalism survived in certain isolated areas into the 50s, 60s, and 70s and traces within certain social groups. They still left traces within certain social groups. So they were eating people for a while, or that's what off we're, their heads. That's what we're led to believe them? by these quotes from outsiders, yeah. so I'm just going to throw that out there. But considering the things we talk about in this episode, this episode, this podcast that we do. It's an episode of a ten, podcast. 10,000 so. skulls and cannibalism. It's like, well, okay. It's a lot. It was. It is. So basically, the country's dual name, um, you know, Papua New Guinea, comes from its complex administrative history before independence. Now, how much do you know about Papua New Guinea? Not a whole lot. Me neither. So this, there's a couple paragraphs here. I don't know if it's going to seem long or in and out loud, but I wanted to address just a little bit of history. I can't even actually recall where it is. It's, it's in, in like the Polynesian Islands, right? Yeah, it's in the Oceania over there. Yeah. So I got that much, at least. All right. All right, so basically, did you know in the 19th century, Germany ruled the northern half of the country? Sure didn't. Wasn't very familiar with this colony of Germany. No. But they, in fact, had it. Uh, until, you know, well, they had it since 1884. They had it for a while until there was, like, a war. Like, yeah. the first one. Yeah, part one. World War. Yeah. Yeah, well, they lost their little colony during that, because, you know, they lost. Well, and they probably focus on other areas a little bit more yeah australian forces were like this is ours now yeah we came and got it and then league of nations was like hey australia you can take care of this and they're like all right we will so it became the territory of new guinea okay and of course australia commonwealth of england and an england colony at the time yeah. britain british mm -hmm. so that's all kind of linked together and that nice fun little empire they have going on there but also in 1884, again, the Germans had some stuff, but then the southern part was already owned by the British. They took it over and it became a British protectorate. Uh, in 1888, it was annexed together with some adjacent islands. This would become British New Guinea. And then in 1902, uh, Papa was effectively transferred to the authority of the new British Dominion of Australia. So, and then with the passage of the... Um, Papa Act of 1905, it was officially renamed Territory of Papa, and Australian administration became formal in 1906. So Australia's got some stuff, Britain's got some stuff, but Britain and Australia are like the same thing. That's not confusing, right? No. Alright, so in contrast to establishing an Australian mandate in former German New Guinea, the League of Nations determined that Papa was an external territory of the Australian Commonwealth, and as a matter of law, it remained a British possession. The difference in legal status meant that until 1949, Papa and New Guinea had entirely separate administrations, both controlled by Australia. This is why I mentioned that, because from two different avenues, Australia was controlling different parts of the country. So even though they were both like with, they're like two, I don't want to say states, that's probably the wrong term to use, but you know, two separate entities, but still were like, what's up Australia? Yeah. You know? These conditions uh, contributed to the complexity of organizing the country's post-independence legal system. Well, talk about one war. Mm -hmm. Here's another one. Yeah. I also know uh, Papua uh, New Guinea. I don't know how you say it, actually. But 
It's one of my go-tos when I play Risk. Yeah? What does it do in the Risk? Well, you got to hold Australia and get four extra forces. It's good. It's good. Just spread uh, out. It's a good base to start in. Nice. Yeah. So it's pretty good. That's all my knowledge about Papua New Guinea. Well, that's one of the good board games. That's one of the good purposes of Risk. It teaches you geography. Mm-hmm. And Amer- uh, America's, I mean, yes, but the world's favorite pastime of just expanding and conquering, you know, as people do. Mm-hmm. Well, during World War II, um, the New Guinea campaign from 1942 to 1945. Um, as you can imagine, the powers involved really went at it. Japan and the Allies, so Australia and United States, right? Uh, combined, two hundred sixteen thousand Japanese, Australian, and U.S. servicemen died. There, yeah, just, just New Guinea. The battles damn. around, yeah, Papua New Guinea, um, but it was not Papua New Guinea yet. After World War II, I mean, spoiler alert, the Allies won. Territories were combined into the territory of Papa and New Guinea. This was later referred to as Papa New Guinea. And then so it was a commonwealth of the British Empire. And then by the 19, in the 1970s, um, it would gain its full independence as be Papa New Guinea and its own country. Right. All right, so 1970s. Might have been 75 when they got their full independence. But let's jump back a couple decades for a second. From GenesisPark.com. Um, this is summing up a story. Dwayne Hodgkins was stationed east of Ley, near Finchenshaven, which may not be pronounced correctly. Does fin- Finchhaven sound like a German town in Papua New Guinea? It sounds like a German word. It certainly does. Finchhaven. Um, PNG, Papua New Guinea, as part of the Army Cavalry in 1944. So our guy was there in 1944. Um, he might have even been part of some missionary stuff later too or around this time about noon one day in august he was walking down a trail through a clearing in the forest when he was startled by crashing in the brush as he watched a large bird-like creature ponderously rose from the ground circled and flew away hodgkinson a pilot estimated the wingspan to be that of a small airplane about 25 feet it's pretty big big bird big bird absolutely he clearly recalls the dark gray coloration, long serpentine neck, beak, and distinctive head crest. Now, he had described this creature as being nocturnal, possessing two leathery wings, similar to a bat, you could even say bat-like, mm-hmm. a long tail with a flange on the end, a beak filled with teeth, and razor-sharp claws. Doesn't sound like a bird too much. No, it sounds like something else. Right. It's got a name. Okay. So it was given the name the Ropen. The Ropen? Or Ropen. R-O-P-E-N. Oh, okay. Ropen. 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 Also could be called a Dua. It's a similar beast, which may, uh, may very well just be a Ropen. Um, but it was identified you know, in a different location on some of the outer islands in a different language, but it could mean the same thing for the same alleged creature. Sure. All right, well... Another cool attribute of these flying demons is their ability to glow. Hmm. That's pretty cool. Illuminating themselves. Maybe there's some kind of spark-like light in the air. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Now, why do they do this? It's hard to tell. I mean, nobody's really asked them why they glow. Hey. 
They've got some guesses. Why do you glow? Hey, hey, man, why you glow, man? Why are you flying away? Hey, ah, whoa, whoa. I mean, right? What is known here? But the phenomenon of them glowing has a name, and that name is called the Ropen Light. Okay. From the 1935 book, The Two Roads of Papa, Lucy Evelyn Cheeseman, that's her last name. Cheeseman? I, I knew we have to get past it. <laughs> I knew I knew we have to get past it. All right. Because I knew we were going to get a little hung up on the fact that her last name is, in fact, Cheeseman. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Maybe it's pronounced Chessman, nope. but it's totally spelled Cheeseman. It's Cheeseman. C-H-E-E-S-M-A-N. That's Cheeseman. Cheeseman. <laughs> Um, she reported seeing these lights for about five seconds. Very noteworthy, since it's something we keep coming back to. Now, according to Paul Nation's Indava Bird Project, there's a reason why Indava is a word mentioned in here too, website called lithub.com, locals call the light Indava. That's why it's part of his website. Now, what is it? What, what could that mean? I'm going to tell you, but like... I don't know. It means bird that flies at night and brings death. It's a small word for all it that. Certainly is. And dava. I do think English needs more of these words that represent complex thoughts. Mm-hmm. English was not. It's not what it does. No. Not not quite like that. Again, and then of course it's also kind of used in dava and like Paul Nation stuff that we'll talk about a little bit. Um, again, just throwing names at you. But um, the Indava, it's, they can, you can also call him the Indava if you want to. I think he chooses to. Um, now, other reports, or cryptid wikis, states the creatures stalk funeral processions and the recently deceased to try to snatch themselves up some decaying human flesh. They got a real taste for that? They really do, yeah. And I couldn't, I read it somewhere, and this happens, and I couldn't quite find the website again to where it came from. But, like, they would weight down corpses because they were, again, this is just a story on the internet. So we know the truthfulness of this. Mm-hmm. You know, 100%. You're looking like an aged steak. No doubt. It to just weigh people down so they can't be taken away. Oh, yeah. Make it harder for them. Basically, yeah. All right. We're going to mention another guy here. This is from the website 247pressrelease.com because it's a press release for a novel. We got, we got some cool places this week. It was pretty, uh, the internet is full of many tubes. Yes, it is. John Whitcomb, writer of Live Pterosaurs in America, which came out in 2009, quote, estimated that of those who have seen an obvious pterosaur, only about 33% have sufficient confidence in their own senses to even consider contacting a cryptozoologist. These percentages are why I included this quote from this press release, because, well, here you go. Of those 33% who accept what they saw, at most, only 20% will get up the nerve to phone or email an expert. I mean, this sounds like a math problem from school. Mm-hmm. And with some eyewitnesses, that may take years. Whitcomb calculated that at least 1,400 Americans have seen living pterosaurs in the United States from early 1980 through the end of 2008. Hmm. What do you think about those numbers? Uh, I would like to be one of those numbers. I know, but... That's why you probably, I am not. That's probably why you won't get to be one of those numbers. Yeah. Interestingly enough, a lot of people in this story I'm telling you want to be in that category, and they end up being in that category. It's pretty interesting. Hmm. I sure wish I would see some kind of evidence of a pterosaur. Oh, and I do. Jealous? Yeah, a little bit. 
When you search for living pterosaurs, this cryptozoologist's work constantly comes up. Again, John Whitcomb, Jonathan. He has spent 10,000 hours researching their open and has studied its behavior. He saw their lights fly out to the ocean early at night and return later, which, according to Whitcomb, lines up with what the locals say about the creatures, flying out to the reef for fish and returning later. So, like, maybe the light is to, you know, draw the fish and they snatch them up. Mm-hmm. You know, bioluminescence or exactly, whatever. Exactly, 100%. Going to get them. Mm-hmm. Now, you know where talk of living dinosaurs lead in our modern era. Dinosaurs living amongst man. What is undoubtedly linked to dinosaurs in our modern era? Would you say creationism and our 6,000-year-old Earth? Kind of. Yeah, all the time. Yeah. Now, to those unfamiliar... I mean, it has been a second since we've talked about living dinosaurs, which inevitably leads to creationism. Right. <laughs> because how could it not? Uh-huh. It's just a wild swerve. But, you know, in case you forget, here's a reminder. Or if you've never heard of such a thing. Then you're in for a treasure because I wish I was wearing a seatbelt whenever I come across these things. Uh-huh. And I always think about them. Like all the time almost. Like, man, do dinosaurs live? Among us? Is the earth 6,000 years old? Yeah. Well, because creationists believe God created all animals in the same day, that would make dinosaurs mere thousands of years old. This means that dinosaurs walked amongst man until the Great Flood. Noah. Which, according to this timeline, was 4,000 years ago. So dinosaurs supposedly, or at least it was for 2,000 years, humans and dinosaurs and all creatures... Live together. Just doing their thing. Yep. Any dinosaurs not on Noah's Ark at the time of the flood would have naturally gone extinct. That makes sense. Uh-huh. They can't, oh, drown. Yeah, you can't see a T-Rex swimming with those tiny little arms. You really can't. And I don't think he's got the paddle action with his legs. No. The balance isn't going to work out. It's not uh, not so good. Not for 40 days, at least. No, right. And 40 nights? Yeah. It's impossible. He's just a... I mean, maybe if a bunch of T-Rexes work together, they could create, like, a T-Rex chain and just kind of, like... Maybe. stand on top of each other. I don't know how their communication skills were, though. That's true. It was it was before the Tower of Babel. Could we all speak the same language? But they're not humans. Anyways. <laughs> but what about the ones Noah kept alive? You know, by maybe hoarding eggs. Two of every species. And I guess he would just be able to know what gender they are. He's got connections, okay? Yeah. As he could find, or cramming T-Rexes and Stegos tooth to tail in a boat way too small for them. They were to have survived if that was a thing that had happened. Mm-hmm. If it did in fact happen, and they're in a boat, and it flooded, they'd make it. Now additionally, any flying reptiles may have been able to avoid drowning the flood as well. They fly, maybe they, you know, just land on the boat for a little bit, yeah. fly around. No, it's like, hey! Yeah, you weren't invited. Yeah, hey, you're on your own. God said you're on your own. <laughs> the only people, the only creatures God was like, you're on your own, was the pterosaurs flying in the sky and all the humans he drowned. Yeah. <laughs> you're on your own. <laughs> Edit undo. Yeah. So not only were dinos wiped up by the flood and turned to fossils, but many may have survived the flood as well. 
I might as well mention now that there is also a belief, that again we both know, that the devil put all the dinosaur bones in the earth to trick mankind because the great deceiver is just that kind of a guy. It's pretty de- deceitful. He's like, yeah. He's like, this will get him. Wasn't even real. Yeah. Jerk. Fucking idiots. Yeah, dummies. <laughs> Stupid. He looks, again, the devil always looks up to God. He's like, these guys? They really? You like them over me? Check out this fucking sick prank yeah. I just did. Boop. Yeah. It was like, oh, God, it was like, it's probably like a Job bet or something. It's like, all right, God, I bet you if I put rocks on the ground shaped like things, they're going to think they were alive. Mm-hmm. It's like, no. That, it's like, that doesn't, I don't buy it. It's like, okay. Mm-hmm. They've got cool teeth. They're going to think they're awesome. Yeah. They're going to wish them into existence. No. And then years later, ah, oh, jeez. Pay up. <laughs> Told you. I'll pay up. Cat grabs a couple twenties out of his wallet. All right, man. Yeah, here's that forty bucks. He's seems like all right, Dad. Pay up. Mm-hmm. So again, those are all things that, if they had happened, they were certainly things. Trolling an entire race though with a you know with a fossilized species of giant lizards. Again, we kind of just talked about it, but Satan, you crazy. Now, if living dinosaurs were found. Alive and well, this could be used to poke holes in and potentially invalidate the very notion of evolution, since that, of course, is the theory creationists are forever locked in ideological combat with. But that's why dinosaurs are linked to creationism, because if you find a dinosaur, you can argue against, I mean, I guess, I don't know how you do. What if God's a dinosaur? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I think, I mean, I don't know. I might have to be behind the veil conversation. I have to like break the internet. <laughs> what if God is the tyrant lizard king? Yeah. And he's the Tyrannosaurus Rex sitting on his throne. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking of things a T-Rex God could do. I've got to stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fun sentence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And whenever I talk about creationism, I have to talk about my favorite creationist place. The museum in Kentucky. I thought it was in Ohio. Either way. Is it, well, maybe it's, it's... I don't know. It's right... I think it's near Cincinnati. I thought it was in Kentucky. I'm pretty sure it's in Kentucky. But it's close to Cincinnati, so like it's right there. Yeah. Whatever. Google it. You'll know where it is. Mm-hmm. It's in case anyone's unfamiliar with that, it's got mind-blowing dioramas of mankind living with dinosaurs. And dinosaurs just doing stuff and like... People riding them. Because, like, it's a museum, so they know people want to see dinosaurs at a museum. <laughs> yep. And all the dinosaurs look very cool. Yep. My favorite story about the dinosaurs and, like, before, like, the sinning happened, you know, is, like, when there's, like, meat. Everything ate plants. So when you got, like, velociraptors, like, in the Garden of Eden, like, eating plants. <laughs> Just living amongst Adam, hanging out. You should get a girlfriend, dude. <laughs> yeah, hey, man, figure this out. <laughs> You're missing the here. I was gonna say you're missing the boat here. It's almost like a Noah <laughs> joke, but it's not because it's not time yet. But yeah, the website of the Creationist Museum, which again, of course, in Petersburg, Kentucky, uh, says the dragons look an awful lot like dinosaurs. And I have not heard more convincing evidence. Does that mean in creationism, there's dragons too? Dragons are dinosaurs, and dinosaurs are dragons. Okay. Many varieties. Like you're asking, is it a wyvern? Is it a, is it a T-Rex? Mm-hmm. Is it a 
flying stegosaurus. A flying stegosaurus, my favorite dragon now. <laughs> oh my god, a fire-breathing flying stegosaurus. <laughs> As he's attacking the village, slashing his tail, burning down everything in sight. I'm gonna miss the boat. <laughs> I gotta go. I gotta go. It's gonna flood. His plates allow him to sense the, you know, the manifestations of the Lord. He's like, there's bad stuff coming. I gotta get on this boat. They detect rain. He's like, oh, it's gonna be raining for a while. <laughs> That's all it is. My plates hurt when it rains. <laughs> and they hurt real bad. Yeah. It's like 40 days and 40 nights of hurt, these things. <laughs> I gotta get on that boat. Oh, no, I slept in again. <laughs> One of these days, it's gonna bite me in my ass. <laughs> what a horrifying sight that creature would be man it'd make me so happy uh... so again dinosaur dragon dragon dinosaur before the term dinosaur existed I mean like dragon was used so they go on to talk about how you know dinosaurs of course are just like you know the dinosaur does not apply you always you know that's the first thing you learn when you're a smart kid in school Tyrannodans are not dinosaurs. They're flying reptiles. Mm -hmm. But if you just have a general term called dragon, well, it can be maybe all these things. Hmm. See? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> See? They were all dragons to them, the people that existed in the time before dinosaur was a term. They didn't make the distinction between pterosaur and sauropod. But this particular Bible passage has creationists thinking dinosaur. It's a good one. Look now at the behemoth, which I made along with you. He eats grass like an ox. See now his strength is in his hips, and his power is in his stomach muscles. He moves his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are tightly knit. Job 40, 15, 17. Okay. Now, have we read that before and just thought like, this passage is like really horny for a dinosaur. It sounds like it. His power is in his stomach muscles. His thighs. He moves his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are tightly knit. Like, oh my god. Close the book. Mm -hmm. You gotta cool off, dude. Yeah. There's also speculation that the fiery serpents of the Old Testament may have been an ancient version of the Ropen. The fiery part, their glow... And then with their wings closed, perhaps, you know, they look kind of slithery with them together. Maybe like a like a serpentine, like a... Like they, they, they laid flat or basically, something? Basically, and then like the, with their tail, it kind of wiggles, so they look kind of snake-like. Sure. Definitely not stretching things to make it seem like a flying dinosaur, for sure. No. Um, in 2006, we mentioned this man before, Paul Nation, a cryptozoologist, especially in the study of living fossils, um, who kind of ventured into the rope and research. I think he was studying like big birds, like ostriches and stuff. Mm -hmm. So that kind of fell into his lap, as it does. According to creationwiki.org, it's a good one. That's a website. Paul Nation returned to Papua New Guinea and videotaped two lights on a ridge above Tawa, a remote village of the mainland. Indava is what the creature is called by the local villagers, and one described it in terms of a small airplane. These nocturnal, apparently bioluminescent creatures appeared to have colonized the top of a cliff where they sleep during the day. Investigators believe that these creatures are similar to the Ropen, if not the same species. It goes on. In March of 2007, Paul Nation, again, 
went to Tower Village. The temperatures at night had dropped to below 40 degrees Fahrenheit with wind and rain, which made him conclude that the Andavas had left the cliff. Villagers told Nation that the creatures live in trees without any permanent colony location. During this second expedition to the Tawa area, Nation learned to distinguish between distant automobile headlights, which would be bright white with slow movement, and the dimmer yellow lights made by the creatures. Andavas fly mostly above the tree canopy, following ridges on hills and mountains where there are neither roads nor automobiles. Again, hoping you see some stuff and you see some stuff. Mm-hmm. We're seeing strange lights that are pterosaurs. Yeah, might be jumping to. Well, you think what? A little bit. What do you mean? I mean, I it, don't know, man. It could be a, a <laughs> unidentified. Uh, was it UAP now? Yes, unidentified aerial phenomena. But if and that sounds like it is, so it's jumping to the conclusion that it's definitely a. A bioluminescent dinosaur flying in the sky. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> may or may not be a dragon. That might be a touch too far, you think? I hope not. But. Right. Definitely seems like it could be a little bit of a reach. Right. What All four flying glowing dinosaurs. Oh, I figured, yeah, we were on the same page there, right? Yeah. 100%. Mm-hmm. Is that a. Oh, yeah, it's a rope end. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a helicopter. That's <laughs> what they sound like. This is how it is. Yeah. He's got a lot of different lights. They're mating call. <laughs> uh-huh. Wow, he's really going at it, shaking the shaking the house. Mm-hmm. Some man in there. <laughs> <laughs> Is that made of metal? Now again, uh, Jonathan Whitcomb has written several books on living pterosaurs, with such titles as "Live Pterosaurs in America," "Not Extinct." Flying Creatures of Cryptozoology that some call pterodactyls or flying dinosaurs or prehistoric birds. What was that one again? It's a title. Um, Live Pterosaurs in America, colon, not extinct, comma, flying creatures of cryptozoology that some call pterodactyls or flying dinosaurs or prehistoric birds. Okay, so I thought there were three different books. That is one book. It's one book. There's another book coming up. Searching for Ropens and Finding God, colon, the quest Whoa. for discovering modern pterosaurs, flying dinosaurs. And one was God. It is one of my favorite titles for a book. That searching is a for, hell of a title. Ser- searching for Ropens and Finding God. Yeah. It's either a colossal mistake or... You're like, oh, I was looking for birds, but look at this guy. Jesus, wow, I found him. Are you the divine? It's like, you got me. Shit, man. I've been hiding up in this cave with my glowing lights and stuff. <laughs> I didn't think anybody was going to come up here. <laughs> he's got his glowing lizards just flying around. He's like, hey. Yeah. He caught me, though. So It's like, you want some commandments? As long as you're here? Yeah. Want some commandments for the just road? Just don't break one of these on the way down. Just don't look at me as I ride it or whatever. It's just... yeah. I'm actually going to talk to you in the bush now. Yeah, you better look away. You're going to get real gray. Are you alone? Because when you get down this 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 mountain cave, you might your party might be building like a golden calf. I've, we've seen this before. It happens. <laughs> you'll get real mad. You'll break some stuff. I mean, you'll be lost in the desert. And then, <laughs> the girl who saw a flying dinosaur, Patty Carson, and other children and teenagers and adults have seen a living pterosaur. Sometimes called a pterodactyl. 
That's where all. That's the that's the next title. That's all book titles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, perhaps those are taglines, but when they're listed on a place you can buy them, that's the complete title. So I think it's the complete title. All right. When Jonathan Whitcomb has said um, what he has said about this his particular vein of cryptozoology, again, he's got some thoughts on it about what he's up to. This is from Benzinga.com. Quote, Bigfoot is a far better known cryptid. Yet my associates and I face a bigger problem than competition for attention. Generations of Western tradition that insists all species of dinosaurs and pterosaurs became extinct millions of years ago. What a concept. Hmm. That controversy has given us negative attention. On top of that is a possibility that in some areas of the world, somebody might see a frigate bird and think they had witnessed a non-extinct pterodactyl. Not everything that looks like a pterosaur is one. What's a frigate bird? It's a giant bird. Um, If you bust out that device and Google it, it's like a big-ass bird. I know it's not good for an audio medium, otherwise otherwise I would have had a picture ready for you. Right. Pretty big bird. Did you see it? Yeah. Right? It's got some size to it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's I mean that's probably one of the most honest paragraphs you know that you could read, because it's very true. Like how many times, like the doubt is always there. Of like you look into the sky, you see something bigger than you think could exist, and then people start calling it like a Mothman. They start calling it. Well, yeah, like last summer when I was going out and there were pelicans flying along yeah. the river, and they're much bigger than the typical birds. They were huge. We have right? around here. Yeah. Uh, you can definitely see how that could throw somebody off. What, what are they? Because the frigate bird's got an eight-foot wingspan. Okay. I think they were white pelicans. American okay. white pelican. Let's see what they are. Uh, like, in the sky, depth perception can get kind of weird. You're not quite sure how far away or how close it is. Yeah. It says they're five and a half feet. So, I mean, up to five and a half. Shorter by three feet. That's bigger than birds. Mm-hmm. And they look huge, so. Right. I mean, eight feet has to look crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and literally my next paragraph here was like, you know, it's not good for an audio podcast, but if anybody wants to jump onto the YouTube and look up pterodactyl videos or even videos of giant birds, I mean, it's all right there. But again, um, this man's website, there's a lot of videos you can look up on the YouTube about flying birds that people think are pterodactyls. Which are quite fun to look at, but I mean, you know, you do you. Mm-hmm. I mean, most accounts are people saying, again, they saw something too big to be a bird, or any big bird they've seen before. I mean, sometimes they think there's a crest on its head. Um, sometimes people say it's got a diamond tip on its tail, which they combine several versions of, um, you know, flying prehistoric reptiles. You know, the kinds with the, with the thing, crest. And, the, and the tail... Yeah. The Rama. I mean, basically, just just imagine every creature that's chasing Jimmy Buffett in Jurassic World with his margaritas. Jimmy Buffett? He's in Jurassic World. Because they film part of it like in Margaritaville. Oh. So in the scene where like the pterodactyl, the pteranodons, and like the, the, Ra- the Rama. I think I know what you're talking about. When he's got two drinks or something? Yeah, the guy runs across that's with Jimmy his, Buffett? That's Jimmy Buffett, yeah. That's pretty good. Okay. <laughs> but I, again. I did not need to know that. <laughs> it's beautiful. Which is because he was also, he I think, I forget if he was credited or not, but Jimmy Buffett was also in another Michael Crichton movie. He's in Congo. For some reason, he's just flying the plane 
that takes everybody to the. It's just a weird connection. That's all. That is weird. Isn't it bizarre? Mm-hmm. Anyways, but the point is, watch that. Watch Jurassic World. Watch that scene and be like, any of these things. This is what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. You see the tails. You see the crests. You know. Yep. Now, looking for these things, they're called living fossils. Now, what is the study of living fossils? I mean, we basically know you're looking for fossils that are alive, things that are you know supposed to be extinct or whatever. But that, yeah, but that doesn't make any sense. Well, a living fossil. A lot of things don't make sense, Zach. Okay. This is quite a world we live in. Yes, it because is. Because I'm going to read you the uh, from that beautiful wiki I mentioned. This is their little segment on living fossils. Okay. Sure. Living fossils are plants or animals that closely resemble species known from fossils. Many such organisms were considered extinct and only known through fossil evidence, but were later discovered alive. Cryptozoology, right? Yes. It is presumed by evolutionists that fossils are much older than is correct due to a failure of the scientific community to recognize the occurrence of the biblical global Deluge. Deluge? Yep. Based on an incorrect naturalistic assumption, stratified rock is believed to have accumulated gradually with the strata separated by millions of years. Therefore, animals such as the dinosaurs are believed to have gone extinct 65 million years before humans lived on Earth. This hurts my head. However... According to the Bible and its cr- chronology, right. all plants and animals were created around the same time. Well, Only, a day or so apart, Around, right? yeah. Only a few thousand years ago. Or a day. Or depending on whose perspective. It's all about perspective. Or is it? Mm. Most naturalists find this thought laughable. And yet many plants and animals alive today have changed little from their relatives that allegedly lived millions of years ago. Allegedly. Allegedly. In fact, most living fossils are almost identical to their fossilized ancestors. On this Wikipedia page, they have a list of things, um, of creatures that are supposedly living fossils, like the one that's at the top, you know, well, there's like crocodiles. Yeah, there's like crocodiles, sharks, s- salamanders. Um, yeah. The um, the horseshoe crab is another mm-hmm. one that's basically. I mean, it looks. It's primordial. A, it's a prehistoric thing. Yeah. Every time I'm, I see it, I'm like, that's one of those. Yeah. Dang, dude. Not anyways. The Earth is wild. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. When you evolved right the first time. Yeah, it's like we... You know how to change much. Yeah, we did it. Nailed it. This design can't be perfected. We won. Mm-hmm. Weird. All right. So, you any, any other additional thoughts on that? Nope. Yep. All sounds perfectly logical to me. Okay. Because I don't want to go back to it. All right. So, from a charlottestories.com uh, article, Matt Cartmill, professor... Emeritus of Evolutionary Anthropology at Duke University said that it's not impossible for there to be living pterosaurs today, but it is highly unlikely. Quote, I can't believe that if there were living pterosaurs in North America, 
Three centuries of naturalists, explorers, farmers, hunters, trappers, and biologists would never have run across a single specimen, living or dead. Cartmel told Raleigh's News and Observer. I'd rank it as being slightly more probable than living unicorns in Raleigh and Durham, but only slightly. Only slightly. Got some sass in there. Mm-hmm. Now, we hadn't talked about living dinosaurs in a while. So, again, like I said in the beginning, I figured I'd revisit the topic. But as I began revisiting, I started to be like, you know, I think I need, maybe I need to dead uh, head first into some of these books. Sounds like a good move. Maybe I need some of this. Yeah. Maybe I need some of this pure information. Because this may come as a shock to you. And if you agree, I'm sure I'll be stunned. Um, that I'm certainly interested in the idea of living dinosaurs. That might be yeah. a surprise. Luckily, mm-hmm. we're both sitting down to process that. Yeah. And I mean, hell, with Jurassic World Dominion coming out basically this week. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I think it's June 9th it comes out. Oh. This podcast is brought to you by Jurassic World Dominion. Oh, is it? No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow, right? <laughs> okay, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. But again, maybe I'm in the mood to dive a little bit deeper. But, timely, this is the story of the Ropen and how there may or may not be dinosaurs still roaming or soaring amongst us. Yeah. Right? That'd be cool. It would be neat. I mean, we got birds still. Right. Yeah, I, I left it out because it didn't go with kind of how I was talking about it, but there was one article that just like, feathered dinosaurs drive creationists nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Like, oh, we gotta change our thing again. Mm. Like, this is. Mm. Mm. Shit. Don't dragons kind of look like dinosaurs? Come on. I heard an interesting theory the other day. Oh, go ahead. About how T Rex's uh, arms are so small because they got them mixed up and they're just really the, like the beginning of the wings. It's so, like T Rex's had wings. I was like, that's ridiculous, but would be amazing. Yeah, he just stopped. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I can't use these. Yeah. <clears throat> Before they decided, like the T Rex probably had like a plume. He didn't have like full on feathers. I always imagine like little full wings, just like rocking in front there mm-hmm. with his little claws. Like, like so, like as the T Rex evolved, it had like big wings at first and could maybe okay. fly. Okay. And then when its mass got so big, the wings shrunk because it was like these are useless. That'd be cool. Just you know. Yeah. Somehow, like even like twenty foot flying meat-eating machine just drops out of the sky. Yeah, well, it's like if, you know, if you're intelligently designing a creature and it's like a video game, so, like, your stats... That's what I'd do. Your stats can I'd, only go I'd so high. way cooler shit. Right, your stats can only go so high. So you start off with this thing. Like, what if I bring the wings down? How big is the body? Oh, my <laughs> God. Yeah, we... Oh, my me. And, and the game doesn't... Oh, <laughs> And the game doesn't allow you to just, like, get rid of the arms. So it's like, yeah, they're still there, but, like... Yeah, they're just... They don't do anything now. A little tinier. Yeah. It's got big clonking feet. It's like its teeth bigger. Massive teeth. Give it a giant jaw. How how kind of, it's like when you're customizing like a wrestling character, you're just like, it can be eight feet, sure. Bam, done. How big can his waist be? Boom, done. Got a tail. Boom. Yeah. Wow. Let's max these settings out. I don't yeah. Know, the arms look too small and I can't adjust those, but Yep. It's fine. And it's like aggression, one hundred. Anger, one hundred. Violent aggr- you know, whatever. You can imagine. 
toughness, coolness, treachery, 100. Treachery? Yeah, he's nasty. Yeah, watch out. He'll stab you in the back. Yeah, he will. Mm-hmm. Just not with his hands. No, he can't reach you. He's got a bunch of, he's got a bunch of six-inch teeth, knives in his mouth. Mm-hmm. His teeth. But yeah. And all those books seem like they're just full of like accounts of like people saying... Sounds like you could find God with one of them. Well, maybe that's what has to happen. Mm-hmm. Hey, I found God and all these flying dinosaurs. That's weird. Yeah. Change man. Mm-hmm. That sentence would probably be true if that actually happened. Yeah. I'm a changed man. Mm-hmm. The, the, uh, the imagery is just not good to talk about. Imagining different pterodactyls and different images and stuff looking for this religion that involves pterosaurs and I just always love the idea of like finding living dinosaurs which is so great is just is like mainly like a vessel to show the counter to evolution so does that mean if creationism is taught in schools kids learn about dinosaurs living amongst man I hope so well in a perfect world Mm mm-hmm We'll get there. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. If you've seen a roping, let us yeah. know at uh, weirdandfeardpodcast at gmail.com. Tell us your story on anchor.fm slash uh, weirdandfeared. Yep. That's support the one. Us. That is it. Support us on the patreon.com slash weirdandfeared. And write us a review. You know, let us know how you feel. It helps Please the show do. out. Gets us, you know, the algorithms always control us. So help them out. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Be safe. Watch the skies. And stay spooky. Yeah, stay spooky. <laughs>